everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Uh, we've got fairly close proximity episodes for you guys this time, back-to-back weeks. Um, still plenty of, of topics to get to, including some massive fines and some new technologies and some anniversaries to get to as well. So, Patrick, what do you say we, uh, we jump right into this guy? Um, first thing I wanted to talk about actually is a story that I uh, came out this week about a new industry consortium created uh, to build a connection for VR headsets. This is called Virtual Link. And the idea here is actually that NVIDIA, AMD, Microsoft, Valve, and Oculus, kind of the only five companies that really matter in terms of PC VR, got together and they are creating a a, a connection standard that simplifies things. Um, instead of having you know three cables with the breakout box in the middle going between your headset and your PC, this is going to be a single cable interface. It's going to use a Type-C connection, although it's a modified version of it, so existing Type-C cables won't work. Um, but it, it combines DisplayPort for display transmission. It, it combines, includes USB 3.1, uh, 10 gigabit per second data connection, and it has power delivery as well. I think it requires 15 watts, up to 27 watts can be sent through. Um, and the idea is, again, to simplify things, to make things a little bit easier for the next generation of head-mounted displays to come out, uh, where you don't have to worry about do I have DisplayPort? Do I have HDMI? Where's the Where's the data connection? What's the power going? You You still this is not a wireless solution, which I think some people will be disappointed about. Um, but there is uh, now just one cable that will go from the back of your head uh, on that head-mounted display to the PC. And what's interesting, there's some other things interesting about this, right? Is that one. All those five players are involved, AMD and NVIDIA. There's, there's not a competitiveness here. There's no proprietary standards. Um, it supports 4K, 120 hertz resolution. Uh, 4K resolution, 120 hertz. So basically double the data rate that the current HDMI interfaces have for the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift. Um, it also supports up to 8K60 with the bandwidth that they've included, 32.4 gigabits of bandwidth. But I think uh, we're not going to drop below that 90 hertz barrier, that 90 hertz refresh rate anytime soon. Uh, the USB 3.1 data channel is basically for transmission of sensor data back and forth from the headset. So if you have an inside out uh, uh, um, setup for spatial tracking, then it can send all the information back to the PC. Um, there is an interesting caveat there in that we don't know where these connections are going to be on the PC. On the head-mounted displays, it's going to be a built-in cable. Makes sense. Uh, but on the PC, assuming that what you'll see now is essentially on future NVIDIA and AMD graphics cards, a Type-C output labeled virtual link, that means the USB 3.1 data traffic has to go through the graphics card into the host PC in some way. And I don't really know how that's going to happen yet, whether or not they're going to create like a virtual USB layer in their drivers that passes it through to the host as like a virtual device, or if they uh, are going to integrate some hardware controller that uses a, a connection on the motherboard or some way. It's easier on a notebook where everything's integrated, but on the desktop, still some questions. And then 20, passing up to 27 watts of power, uh, 
you know, it shouldn't be a huge problem for high performance graphics cards that are, you know, already 180, 250 watts, but it is, you know, a healthy percentage of that that you're kind of adding on. And if, if you're going to take this virtual link connection into lower power graphics cards, maybe something that's only bus power doesn't have external power connections, um, you definitely have some questions there. Uh, I don't. The, the, the question that comes up from this, Patrick, is: Does this fundamentally change anything in the VR ecosystem um, because of the integration of this cable? My, I would posit that it it doesn't. It's not going to suddenly make VR more popular, but it does mean that when these next generation headsets come out, there's a little bit less of a hurdle for people that might want to try them in terms of complexity. So, uh, quick question for you on this. I'm not as close to this. I've been spending my time on some other stuff. Yeah. Um, when could we expect systems and headsets and systems uh, with with this capability? So uh, unknown at this point, <clears throat> but I would say there have been uh, as recently as a month ago, there were rumors of the upcoming GeForce products that are supposedly coming out later this summer having a quote VR port on them, and nobody really knew what that meant. Um, now with this virtual link consortium out and about, we kind of have an idea. This is probably what they're referring to. So I, it seems likely that uh, upcoming GeForce products will actually have this integrated on it already. Now, headsets that integrate it, I don't really have an idea because there's there's no kind of rumored or public roadmap about what Oculus or HTC or Steam VR might be releasing, uh, or Microsoft for that regard uh, might be releasing in that in that world. There is uh, in the consortium documentation there is the ability to uh, BizLink will make an adapter that will basically convert if you have an existing um, headset to a virtual link connection. So you, you basically have a box that includes a display port, uh, a power, and a USB connection, and then it turns it into virtual link, which kind of defeats the purpose of all of this, but it does allow you to at least uh, use an existing headset on a new graphics card that might have that virtual link input. Um, so I think, we'll see, I think we'll see systems with it, you know, graphics cards that can be integrated into systems with it, you know, probably within a few months would be my guess. When we see head-mounted displays with it, though, I am hesitant to say anything this year. Yeah, so I think overall, I mean, this is the direction. Like you said, wireless would be better, but there has to be a premium experience with that, that gets us to, you know, I'll call it 2K per eye or 4K per eye. That's going to take a heck of a lot of bandwidth, more bandwidth than wireless uh, yeah. can do. So... It's, it's a good direction. I mean, it, it removes, almost removes one of the barriers to increase popularization. But I think there are a multitude of markets that, uh, that where this just won't be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's, to, to me, wireless is still the future, but it's very, it's, the, the technology is just not there. We've had lots of people try, you know, Intel's given it a shot. We've got accessories for the Vive and whatnot. And, and I think that's where we want to get. Um, but from a reliability standpoint and uh, just practicality of getting things working in today's market, this, this will help, uh, this will help quite a bit. So that's called virtual link. So look for that. I assume we'll see that in uh, GeForce announcements late in the summer. So let's talk about the, 
massive fine that Google was uh, has been placed on them by the EU. It's a five billion dollar anti-competitive fine, essentially centering around. Uh, pre-installation of the Google search app and the browser app on Android devices, somehow tying it as a condition to, hey, if you want our app store, you basically need to set this up as the default search and browser setup. Um, There's a whole lot of debate going on back and forth with this. And I've seen a lot of people pointing to, you know, Google's executives defense of their position compared to Microsoft's defense of its position uh, back when it was uh, taken to task for Windows and, and browsers. Um, is it easy to compare those two, or, or, or how do you look at what, what the EU's decision here today really means for, for Google moving, moving forward? There's a lot of differences and similarities between uh, what's happening with Google right now in the EU and what happened with Microsoft and, and the DOJ. So um, it's similar in that Google is using a monopoly power uh, in search to invoke restrictions on other companies like carriers and smartphone makers. Now, I think the result's going to be the same, where <clears throat> everybody else is dead. Uh, you know, there, there, there's really only, you know, two mobile operating systems out there. Uh, Google uh, continues to have their search monopoly. And, you know, I, I do think there is some potential for, let's say, a Fire OS to come out from Amazon on, uh, sorry, from, yes, from Amazon on certain phones. Mm -hmm. And I also see uh, Bing being preloaded on on these Android uh, devices uh, inside of the EU. Is it going to make a difference? That's hard to say. One thing that nobody is picking up though, Ryan, is that it's not just the search capability here. Uh, if, If you preload uh, Google Search or, or Chrome, it becomes your default. And what that means is it, it's a much closer funnel to Google services, right? If you're looking for maps, if you're looking for um, an audio, a music service, if you're looking for uh, a movie service, uh, we're tech geeks, so we know exactly what we want. But yeah. Most of the population isn't like that. They use the defaults. And when you use a default search and you're searching on it, Google search is going to funnel you and prioritize their services over other people. So that's what nobody is talking about right now. This just isn't about Chrome. This isn't just about the Google search app. Uh, this is about all of the services that go uh, along with having a monopoly in search. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Does this mean we'll probably end up with an Android in, in air quotes here, like we have a Windows in option? Um, but basically, during setup, prompts you with what browser do you want to use, what uh, search option do you want to use? I think this it makes sense that this same type of thing would happen for Android devices. Is it not true? Like, is it if if you boot up a, a new Galaxy phone today? Um, they have Chrome pre-installed, but they also have an alternative browser still pre-installed, right? Uh, yeah, th- that's right. It, but it's it's the default nature that that gets uh, that that I think is is getting uh, people uh, into in, into trouble here. So, and the other thing is is that that Google has different deals with different people. 
mm. where they're paying money uh, to some people and not paying money uh, to other people. And listen, the whole volume discount thing didn't work for Microsoft in the EU, right? Uh, right. What ended up happening is um, everybody was put on an equal basis. The volume-based discounts that that uh, that Microsoft was giving to at the at the time Compaq and Dell. I was at Compaq at the time. Hmm. I know the know these things. Uh, those things went away. So um, this this is where Google is coming from. On they might have to charge uh, for uh, uh, for Android. Right. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what changes. Um, I don't, I, I don't think it will change anything in the U.S. I don't think any any anything that happens there will necessarily care, carry over globally. Um, but interesting to see uh, what that happens there. Apparently, Google is going to appeal this, um, as pretty much everybody does when they get slapped with a five billion dollar fine. Um, but again, I don't expect a whole lot of changes, a whole lot of changes from that outcome. Uh, another thing worth talking about, I just saw Samsung and Arm uh, got together and made an announcement about basically achieving 3 plus gigahertz on the upcoming Arm A76 processor through Samsung's Foundry 7 nanometer uh, LPP process. Um, and what's interesting here is, you know, Samsung's a huge foundry but who gets most of the attention the majority of the time i think when talking about new process nodes is still tsmc uh and so this this announcement from you know combined from samsung and arm actually is promoting the samsung 7 and 5 nanometer finfet process tech it's using euv um arm talks about its artisan physical ip platform which is basically the infrastructure that allows them uh or allows their customers to more easily integrate with process nodes and and foundry partners like samsung um they're talking about samsung seven uh seven nanometer lpp process being already in the second half of this year which is now essentially you're using euv lithography um for some of those ips they're talking about uh, euv in the second half of next year samsung's five nanometer lpe tech and uh, uh, will be will be later in that time frame too. Um, it's this is this is one of the things that I believe makes <clears throat> excuse me makes ARM stand out from a lot of the other competition out there. In that ARM charges licensing fees for its IP, and then they provide with that a ton of tools and opportunities and partnerships that that customers can take advantage of. This being one of them, the idea that you can easily design a part around a Cortex A76 processor, and then not just that, but easily get it up and running and get it built at uh, a high-end, high-performance foundry like Samsung, where ARM and Samsung have kind of partnered together to do a lot of that work already. You want to integrate um, dynamic, like, you know, dynamic technology for multiple cores. They've got that integrated in there into into their Pop IP solution. So it's a really interesting thing, and plus. We now know a little bit about the frequency here. They're talking about three hitting three gigahertz plus on those A76 processors. So uh, a little bit to look forward to in terms of mobile performance. Yeah, I, I do think this highlights the capability of, of ARM's IP and the way that they, they work it. Essentially, if you're developing an SOC, you can remove that risk off the table of the processor complex not working, right? Um, and, and it's good stuff. I, 
I the three gigahertz is impressive, um, and I, I don't know was it specific on whether that required seven or five. Um, I mean, if it's if it's seven nanometer at three gigahertz plus, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be super impressed. Yeah. But waiting for five, less impressed. Yeah. No, I, I get. You're right. It's not it's not specific here, um, but I. I do think we're hitting. I think I do think it's three gigahertz plus on seven nanometer, which means, you know, the first devices we see towards the end of this year on a seventy six could be, could be that performance level. And I know both of you, both you and I, talk about this all the time about, um, you know, getting a seventy six into these Qualcomm uh, uh, always connected PCs uh, would be a huge push for them in that battle uh, for the for the Windows market there. Oh, the A76, right, is that I see as a, that definitive fighting uh, point. I mean, the, the 835 and the 850 from Qualcomm uh, were, were starters. But, you know, if and when Qualcomm does a chip from uh, using the A76, it's going to be the kind of the de- definitive fighting line on the consumer front. I, I still think that Microsoft uh, and Qualcomm have a lot to prove in the enterprise. Uh, you know, people aren't aren't as open to just you know changing uh, the application that they use if it's not supported. Um, and enterprise always takes longer, but but th- this is where it gets super interesting uh, competitively because I, I view the A76 as 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 not a smartphone uh, architecture, but but more like a a PC architecture related to you know uh, even uh, cache levels and cache size that that just work better with Windows. Yep, I agree. I agree. I'm excited to see it. Uh, you got to spend some time um, with the new Sonos Beam. I'm I'm curious about this. I have a lot of Sonos devices. Uh, in my house already from uh, I have the Sonos Play 1 to the the 5 and I've got them outside and on, uh, powered by the Sonos amp and uh, pretty much got them throughout and so I'm very curious about this as we go to add a TV to the house that maybe this would be an option uh, rather than going with the whole surround sound setup more of the more of the soundbar option but integrating it into what what have your experiences been so far so my home is very similar to to yours. I have a ton of Sonos devices uh, around. In every main room, I at least have have one, and I also have uh, three Sonos ones that that have um, uh, Alexa uh, involved uh, as well. I need to watch watch when I say Alexa, otherwise, yes, you know, uh, fireworks are going to start up. But. Um, it took me literally about 10 minutes to set up, and I, I put it in the family room, which is a smaller TV. It's a 32-inch TV uh, right off of, of the kitchen. Uh, we live downtown in Austin, so my house is small. Uh, there's not, not that room, but I was amazed at how quickly uh, it, it, it set up, and it automatically identified my TV as a Samsung uh, Gen 7. And the setup took me uh, to connect it into the AnyNet CEC port, which essentially means that every device that's connected, whether it's an Apple TV, uh, and in my case, I have an Apple latest gen Apple TV, but also the Amazon Fire TV Cube, mm-hmm. automatically the audio will be routed through it. 
You don't hmm. have to go through all the machinations if you plug it into the correct port that has CEC, uh, CEC capability. So, uh, and it literally just worked. I mean, and that is so uh, Sonos, right? The first ones to, 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 in my opinion, bring an audio solution that just worked. Uh, the Beam um, is, I think, optimal for a smaller TV. Uh, 32 maybe 40 inches uh, it, it just it sits on um, a cabinet uh, you don't yeah. have to mount it to the wall you can in fact I have another one coming from my 85 inch TV I'm waiting for the uh, the white uh, uh, the white connector on that but uh, it sounds great it supports 63 audio services which hmm. is amazing. It's kind of the Swiss Army knife of, of services, and it's uh, out of the box. It supports uh, the A word from Amazon. Uh, nice. And also, nice. in the future, um, they are they have, they're committed to support to have um, um, the G word, uh, the, sorry, the A word from Google uh, supported. Oh right, uh, as well, and and they've committed to that uh, within within the year. So, hmm. I listen. No, none of Sonos's products are cheap, but they're very high quality and very easy to use, and and very uh, not tied into anybody's ecosystem. And the cool part is, it supported AirPlay too. Yep. So if you have an iPhone, any any piece of media. Uh, on your iPhone, uh, it can uh, it can support, including Apple TV. Good stuff. Impressive. One of the one of the things that disappoints me now is that if you have a bigger room and you wanted a more powerful uh, sound bar with some of their tech in it, it's it's not as advanced. Like they didn't update their entire line, right? So if you want the Play Bar, for example, which is their more expensive seven hundred dollars sound bar, bigger. Uh, more amplifiers, more speakers, larger spaces. Um, it doesn't support HDMI arc. Uh, it doesn't have the Amazon services built in. It doesn't have, uh, well, one of them has AirPlay support built into it. Um, but yeah, a little bit disappointing there. And, and, and Sonos is in a really interesting spot where they created the idea of smart, they don't say they created it, but they popularized the idea of smart speakers, right? And being able to interact with them in a different way. And now with all these other competing services, there was a lot of questions whether or not they'd be able to keep up and whether or not they'd be able to stay relevant. Um, and they've been able to do that, which I, I will freely admit was, was kind of surprised by. Um, you know, once AirPlay started coming out, I was like, well, that's the end of, of, of Sonos and, uh, you know, integrating with the smart, uh, home services actually is a great idea to to get in to get into all these locations that you might not be able to. So, very cool stuff. I'm also interested to to try that out. Um, AMD put out a release this week uh, that they it was an AMD sponsored uh, paper essentially that they were looking at they wanted to look at graphics card stability. If if you followed the GPU market for a long time, I know you have Pat that the the one primary knock or one of the biggest knocks on AMD comparing it to NVIDIA was that the drivers weren't up to par. That NVIDIA's drivers were always better. They were updated more frequently. They had you know, more room to accelerate and grow. Uh, they were more stable. They had more features. And AMD's software division has done a ton of work over the last two years or so, maybe three, really trying to change that dialogue, both changing the product that they build, but also changing the outward dialogue of what uh, of what they're doing. Um, and the problem is, is that's a 
changing that you know that that narrative in the in the public eye is is a long-term process it's a tough thing to do to be fair um it's it's bad news travels quick and slow news is not so much. So the AMD's trying to figure out ways on how they can how they can accelerate that movement. And they did this by uh, basically hiring third party group uh, for software quality assurance testing, uh, QA consultants, where they've done five thousand apparently five thousand mission critical projects. Um, they have a thirty thousand square foot industry grade facility called the test factory. Sounds fancy at least, um, but they were commissioned by AMD to run. Uh, a portion of window of Microsoft Windows Hardware Lab Kit, and they did a 12-day head-to-head test where they looked at AMD and NVIDIA graphics cards um, using the latest drivers, 12 different GPUs, six from AMD, six from NVIDIA, identical machines, 24-hour-a-day stress tests, and basically they were looking for pass-fail status. If this four-hour test, this Windows Hardware Lab Kit, I think it was called, I think it's called, is it called Crash? I think it might just be called Crash. Um, the, the specific test, and um, if it if it made it through the four hours of testing without locking up, without freezing, without crashing, it was considered a pass. And if it didn't, then it was considered a, a, a fail. And um, the aggregate numbers that AMD put out or that this group put out was, showed that AMD products passed 93% of the time and NVIDIA products passed 82% of the time. So obviously... You know, there's a lot more detail in the specific report, but AMD was very proud of this. You know, this ranges, they tested graphics cards like the, as, as low cost as the RX 560 up to their flagship RX, uh, or their Vega RX 64, um, the Professional Series Pro WX, then, then from NVIDIA, they tested 1050 all the way up to 1080 Ti and all the way up to Quadro P5000. So they got a, a good... Uh, assortment of graphics cards in this test and the it's hard to know a whole lot about what this does the windows hardware uh, uh, kit is a 64-bit variant yeah the test is called crash it stresses the gpu unit itself it doesn't um, test stability of specific games it doesn't test stability of you know the drivers after game patches, which I think is is obviously still very important, and and is not something that you can easily automate uh, for this. But this is more of a I would think of it some kind of an analog or subset of Wickle testing, right? Which is the Windows Hardware Quality Lab um, that they that all kind of official drivers that get distributed through Windows Update have to pass. Uh, so it's it's an impressive metric nonetheless. Now. NVIDIA hasn't responded to this. I don't really expect them to kind of publicly respond to any of this. Um, they'll just simply point to the success they've had over the years and et cetera, et cetera. But I think for AMD, this is this is, this is is great information to have out there. It's good to see. If nothing else, this test proves that they are still taking the software push internally very seriously and that they're trying to find ways to showcase the work and effort that they're putting into it. Um, even if it's not a definitive statement that you can make at any given point, which I don't even know if that would ever exist. So any thoughts on what they did here or um, what the results may or may not show? Yeah, I think that historically uh, AMD and Radeon had a, a, a not as good rap on, on stability and, and drivers. Now, this was specifically in the workstation market. Uh, but I think over the last two or three years, I think that 
uh, AMD has made tremendous amount of investments in into the driver quality, and I, I think this is a proof point and milestone that that shows that they are. You know, I, I don't want to belabor the competitive thing. Um, I, I, you know, there, there's a lot of things that makes an experience good, bad, uh, or 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 ugly, and it not only. Um, uh, part of that equation is the quality of the driver. Uh, the other pieces are the application support that that, that sits uh, on top of that. Uh, you can architect uh, your game and have integration uh, where the driver crashes and the user doesn't even notice anything uh, and there's no data yeah. loss. So, so uh, it's it's one part of the puzzle. It's an important puzzle. And I think at the end of the day, I think all AMD wants to... You know, they're, I don't think they're intending to get, you know, a big bump out of a 10%, uh, you know, better, uh, you know, Wickle driver stability. I, th I think at the end of the game is it says, no, we're, we're serious about this and our software is, is really good. You know, interestingly enough, they could potentially be setting a trap for Intel uh, when Intel mm -hmm. comes in uh, with, uh, with what it's doing. I mean, Intel really gets uh, wrapped uh, on drivers, particularly uh, with with games, uh, less about the crashes and more about the quality uh, and features that are supported in uh, in in games. So, I'd like the next test to be uh, some way to automate the entire stack, the application plus the driver, but. Um, I think as industry insiders, we both know that AMD uh, has upped their game exceptionally yeah. in, in software, but I think this is really about education and proof points. And I can see them giving this to OEMs that, that say, well, wait mm -hmm. a second, you know, you know, if I'm HP Inc. And, and I have workstations and I have GPUs that, you know, why should I choose AMD? You know, AMD is, uh, sorry, NVIDIA is so much well-known, my customers are asking for, for NVIDIA. I think this is a, a good leave behind for, for the sales force and for the OEMs and the channel partners uh, to use. If nothing else, just to you know, be on an equal pace with NVIDIA when it comes to driver quality. Yep, yep, agreed. Uh, let's quickly talk about a few more things here on our list for the week. Uh, you posted about Microsoft Teams going free or having a free version. And uh, I'm very curious about this because I know a lot of things that they're doing on the enterprise side are kind of merging into Teams. So I want to know about this as much as possible. Yeah, so um, long long history here where, you know, I think uh, when Office, Office was only a, um, I'll call it on-prem or on-device Windows piece of software that you would load with CD-ROMs. Um, and then Google came out with their web versions of their Office product. Uh, I, I think that people you know, would easily have said, hey, the Microsoft Office franchise is at risk, okay? Uh, and then Apple, if you remember, started hitting their iOS plus Mac uh, and then boom, Office 365 hit, and then pretty much those solutions, uh, particularly Apple, went into the background. Office 365 surprisingly had this amazing iOS client. I uh, had a full uh, web-based experience uh, as well. 
uh, and and I think everybody was surprised how quickly this happened. Yeah. Then Slack happened, which uh, I know you're a user of. I mm-hmm. know uh, you know I test probably three or four. Uh, we use a lot of Google Hangouts chat uh, inside of my company right now. But uh, here we are with Teams, the chat-based interface, and uh, they're in more countries uh, and have more users uh, than Google Hangouts Chat. Google Hangouts Chat, that's the second version, is not even GA yet. Hmm. Um, and Microsoft uh, is in uh, hundreds of com- countries with 50 different languages. So, uh, but the big thing when it comes to trial Right, is you you had to have Office 365 to be able to use it, and you had to be all in. You had to even um, have your email on Exchange. Well, this free version, which uh, which was just announced, really hits those small businesses, medium businesses, but also small groups in big businesses who don't want to have an IT person. So, hmm. um, really quick. So I, I think this is going to. Uh, pose some problems for both Slack uh, and Google because we have a very competitive Microsoft here, and yeah, I mean it's 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 impressive. It's it's Office 365 proved to me that Microsoft wasn't a lumbering giant; it was quick. Yep. And then Teams being ahead of of Slack and V2 Google Hangouts chat in terms of countries support uh kind of cemented it this is this is a new microsoft yeah you know as somebody who pays about a hundred bucks a month for slack um for our for our uh our group of guys this is really compelling because they they include a lot of the features that i pay for on slack in here such as the um the massive amount of storage uh, 10 gigabytes of shared storage, uh, unlimited messaging and searching through it, 300 maximum users. That's plenty for the group of, uh, of, of people that we work with. Um, yeah, and it, it looks like it integrates well with the Office 365, which I use and a lot of our team uses for, for that kind of stuff. It's interesting because on one hand, I'm very much tied to Google services. We use Gmail for our email hosting Google Docs is a lot of our is a lot of our shared documentation and notes and whatnot, um, and Google doesn't really have a real competitor in this space uh, that that I feel exists. Uh, so, just another 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 way to for Microsoft to to squeeze in here and I think get some get some interesting uh, customer bases. Yeah, it is, and so it's I have a very interesting uh, similar setup. So I use Microsoft as my front end, and then my back end is Google. Uh, with uh, it was you know, my decision was primarily about email support, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm considering and we use uh, Google Hangouts Chat, but I, I am seriously considering you know moving the company over uh, to kind of all in Microsoft 365. Yeah, yeah, I could I can easily see that being being the next move. Um, also, we wanted to talk about Qualcomm's server division. This is something that. Man, has it been going through some some roller coaster emotions recently? Um, a year ago, it was kind of at a maybe it's a little bit more than a year ago. We were kind of like this all time high. The Centric processor family was announced. Um, then we went through the whole Broadcom mess. Uh, it kind of got sidelined for a while. There were rumors of it being completely 
uh, shrugged off internally, that the server division was going to be killed off. We had some executive movement that kind of amplified those rumors. And now, you know, they're Qualcomm's kind of making a little bit more of a statement about what they plan to do. And you wrote a story about this on Forbes, kind of detailing uh, what you thought Qualcomm was actually doing with the server group and if it made any sense. Yeah, I read a lot of the stories, uh, and they seemed a, l- a little bit conflicting to me. We have a data center practice. Uh, I'm an ex-AMDer. I ran corporate marketing when we launched Opteron. I mean, and I know this space really well, but it just didn't add up. And so I literally uh, set up a conference call with uh, Cristiano Amon, uh, who is the president at, at Qualcomm, and asked him, like, what are you guys doing? And, you know, he explained uh, kind of the go-forward strategy. So first of all, uh, Mollenkopf made a commitment to reduce expenses by a billion dollars. Right. Okay? Everybody knew this. I mean, Qualcomm would be a fool not to to, to look at, at this as a potential thing to reduce or cut. Um, and uh, he explained to me that, hey, going forward, you know, we want to grow in areas where there's not two types of risks. You know, a channel and customer risk on one side and a, and a technological risk uh, on the other. And servers were new customers uh, in channels that that were were not that they're relatively new to us and oh by the way very different architecture and intellectual property so uh what cristiano did is is wanted to remove one of those risks and that was a channel risk so they're uh, narrowing their focus considerably on edge computing through carriers um and Qualcomm has a, a, they're very important and strategic to carriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with 5G coming on, the requirement for edge computing uh, is going to be huge. Uh, the example that I like to use is, is AR, right? AR goggles and glasses that people actually want to use are technologically probably eight to 10 years away. They look like your glasses. Uh, they don't look any different from anybody else's glasses. They're not tethered either. And the way to do that is is through 5G, have the computing close to the goggles, as opposed to having to do all the compute in the goggles or the glasses themselves. So that could compress time in the industry from 10 years to three or four years. So, uh, and I know that Facebook is talking about this. I know that, that uh, AT&T is talking about this. And I know that Intel, who has a, a huge edge play and carrier play going, is 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 banking on this as well. I've seen pictures of server processors uh, connected to telephone poles in those telephone pole wires in yeah. those black boxes that you see. Uh, yep. So there is a market there. So. Uh, and then leveraging their China JV as opposed to directly talking to people uh, in the cloud like Baidu, working through the JV, uh, reducing those resources on that. So uh, I'm not Babe Ruthing in this. This is going to be really hard. And in my opinion, uh, to see movement on edge compute, you're probably looking three or four years away. Um, and giving up kind of direct control to your China JV um doesn't guarantee success either so uh but but anyways that is the go forward plan that's going on they're not exiting the cloud they're narrowing it to their jv china uh they're not exiting server they're narrowing their scope to uh carriers uh and edge computing yeah 
Yeah, I think your it, thoughts on this. Any any thoughts you're having on this? No. So I, I'm glad you were able to have a conversation with uh, Cristiano about it because it, it's it's it is one of those things that I think is incredibly confusing, and there's a whole bunch of conflicting information out there. I think it makes sense. I also believe that Arm Arm still believes in the future of this market internally, and they need a customer like Qualcomm that has the name and the technical capability and some of the partnerships um, to really push into this space. So if anything, I, I do believe that ARM desperately wants Qualcomm to stay in here and they may be doing something, hey, look, this is what our future looks like. This is what our our, our roadmaps are going to show. We need you in here. This is going to be a place of, of focus for us uh, in, in that time span. So that wouldn't surprise me if that's a little bit a part of it as well. Um, because there's the the number of ARM players in the server space has just it has dwindled, and um, I, I think if you look at cores like the A seventy six, you know obviously you're not going to take one of those and just kind of slap it into a server, but it gives you an idea of how ARM IP is kind of changing and adjusting with the times, uh, and it it's it makes more sense in the server space now than maybe it ever has previously as well. Uh, let's finalize. Let's finish up here on the Lenovo uh, Think Agile. You wrote a piece on this one as well. Um, this is a, a a composable cloud platform, and you're gonna have to explain to me what that means. Sure. So um, Lenovo has really been on the move. I, you know, they were number two in growth in revenue growth versus Dell in in the server space. So they're they're on a roll. Uh, Kirk Scougen, ex uh, Intel. Uh, guy is just doing a great job here. So uh, there's this uh, this concept of HCI, uh, converged infrastructure, and then there's this notion of, of composable. Uh, a lot of, of the hardware vendors are doing amazing things with composable infrastructure, and that's, that's the layer below the cloud composability, the software layer uh, on top. And what what Lenovo is doing is they did an exclusive deal um, with a company called Cloudistics that's a full uh, top-to-bottom stack where an enterprise uh, can come in and, and buy this from Lenovo and they instantly have a self-service capability, even billing, for, for, for different departments. And then you can layer on there um, uh, VMs, containers, uh, storage volumes, file systems, and, and hosts. Um, so it's kind of a, I'll call it the easy button uh, for, for enterprises to, to have a self-service um, application environment. And huh. uh, I think this is really interesting. Uh, I can't, com- you know, this is not comparable to things like Synergy from HPE or MX from from Dell, it's just it's a different thing. Hmm. Uh, Synergy and MX are are more of a do-it-yourself uh, than having it come right out of out of the box. So really surprising um, in that you know some people even didn't don't even know in the United States that Lenovo sells servers and yeah uh, they uh, had you know they just had an announcement that says you know they had more systems on the top 500 than any other vendor and they did it two two years. Uh, earlier, um, they are increasing their market share on VMware, uh, vSAN, Azure Stack, and uh, Nutanix as well. So, 
good progress. I think many people had written Lenovo off. Uh, mm. I don't think uh, they're going to be able to uh, to do that in the future, though. Yeah, I. Th- this to me, the fact that you said, and, and you're right, that like so many people didn't realize Lenovo still. Or, or was making servers for the day center again tells you a little bit about what their growth potential continues to be going forward so kirk has a lot of has a lot of, lot of forward momentum there he can still build upon uh i think that's going to do it for this week everyone thanks for joining us um if you want to get all of our future episodes you can subscribe uh and find the rss files and all the back episodes as well at thetechanalysts.com or you can just search for that uh, the tech analyst podcast on itunes or google play or wherever you happen to find uh podcasts and we'll be back uh next week the summer is going to be a busy one there's a lot of a lot of uh, announcements and news and hardware and infrastructure to talk about so uh there'll be no Gosh. shortage going forward and aren't you uh you're headed to italy uh, yep. for a for an unknown unnamed unknown <laughs> uh event right uh Anshul's, uh going there as well now as you guys are having all this fun in Italy. Uh, I'm going to be uh, headed to San Francisco for Google Cloud Next. Yep. Yay. Yep. Uh, thank goodness it's in the same hotel and I don't have to be on the streets <laughs> of San Francisco. Uh, and then on Friday, I'm going to be uh, taking my son and I are going to the Overwatch League Grand Finals at the Barclays mm. Center in, in Brooklyn. Speaking of, you know, really dedicated work trips. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard work. We're going to be very busy uh, uh, watching this. And my son's an avid uh, Overwatch uh, player. Um, but, uh, anyways, yeah. You, I have you, to keep up with uh, the gaming somehow, right? Yeah. You got to keep that youthful energy going somehow. There we go. So, yeah. All right, everyone. And we'll see you next episode. Thanks. Thanks.